Hi, friends, and welcome back to my book review podcast. This week, you're listening to Unknown Friends, season two, episode seven, and I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson of Kitty Wham Productions. Today, February twenty fourth, is of course our launch day on Patreon. So, if you heard last week's episode or have seen me posting on social media, you know all about this already. The Unknown Friends podcast, as of today, has a Patreon site where you can become a patron of the podcast. There are different levels at which you can join, with different rewards on each level. And I've had so much fun planning the various kinds of bonus content I get to share with you guys there. I'm really excited to build our Unknown Friends community through Patreon. I'm posting behind-the-scenes stuff there, and bookish resources, and quotes, and polls, and all kinds of things. And I look forward to getting you guys involved in those conversations as well. Plus, through Patreon, you can now access bonus episodes. So I've started now to create monthly bonus episodes where I share with you guys all the books I will be reviewing the following month. And I read aloud the first chapter of one of those books. So I have our first preview episode created and available for listeners who join me on Patreon as what I've called senior patrons or super patrons. And that's not even all. But I won't try to list out all the perks of joining Patreon. You can check it out for yourself if you visit patreon.com forward slash. Unknown friends. That link is in the episode description, and there you can read about the different levels at which you can become an unknown friends patron, and the benefits you get depending on which level you choose. Now, if anyone's wondering or worried, unknown friends, as you know it, is not changing. My book reviews are carrying on exactly as usual. They are still free to you. The format and the content are not changing. Patreon will just add to what's already here. It's a setup that fosters community and allows fans to support their favorite creators and creators to provide extra content for their fans. It's totally optional to you. So if you're content just listening to my normal weekly reviews, please carry on. And thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in more content from me, that's when you may want to visit Patreon.com/unknownfriends to explore the options for joining the community there and accessing my extra content. So now let's talk about today's book. We are discussing an 1847 novel today, Agnes Grey by the youngest Bronte sister, Anne Bronte. Now, in my teens, I read *Jane Eyre* by Charlotte Bronte and *Wuthering Heights* by Emily Bronte, but I had never explored the works of Anne until I finally decided to give her first novel, *Agnes Grey*, a try, and I'm so glad I did. First, however, let's set the stage by talking a bit about Anne's life. So Anne Bronte was born in 1820, the youngest of six children, to Patrick Bronte, a clergyman. Her mother Maria tragically died when Anne was just a year old, and a few years later, Anne's two eldest siblings both died from tuberculosis within about a month of each other. Their aunt came and lived with the family after their mother's death and stayed to help raise the children. 
The family lived a pretty secluded life. Um, after the oldest two girls died, Patrick Bronte chose to keep the rest of the children at home to be educated by himself and their aunt. The four children, Charlotte, one brother, Branwell, Emily, and Anne, read voraciously and also started creating imaginary worlds together and writing at a very young age. Eventually, Charlotte, the eldest, took a teaching position at a school when Anne was 15, and Anne actually went with Charlotte as a pupil. So she studied there for about two years before becoming ill and returning home. But a year or so later, Anne took a position as a governess. This, however, lasted less than a year. It was really a terrible time for her. Her pupils were uncontrollable. She was not permitted to punish them, but was expected to make them learn, and of course couldn't. So eventually the family dismissed her. When she returned home at this point, she met a young man, William Waitman, who was her father's new curate, and he became friends with the Bronte family. Some historians wonder if Anne might have fallen in love with him. We don't know that and don't necessarily have any hard evidence for that other than some poetry Anne wrote at the time, which might hint at something like that. In addition, as we'll talk about very soon, her protagonist in Agnes Grey falls in love with a young curate named Mr. Weston. Mr. Waitman, Mr. Weston, could be coincidental, but there's enough in Agnes Grey which clearly is autobiographical that it's very tempting to assume Mr. Weston might be a kind of portrayal of Anne's friend, the curate William Waitman. Now, I don't know much about Mr. Waitman himself. By all accounts, he was amiable and cheerful and kind, and he sounds also like he was maybe a little mischievous. The first February after he met the Bronte family, he decided to send Valentine's cards to each of the Bronte sisters, who had never received Valentine's before. And he actually walked 10 miles to another town to post the cards from there to try to disguise where they'd come from. But apparently the girls figured it out pretty quickly and collaborated to write a, a witty little friendly poem in response, which they sent to him. Anyway, it sounds like they had a warm friendship, but sadly, one reason we don't know how exactly Anne Bronte and William Waitman felt about each other is because Mr. Waitman died in 1842 of cholera when Anne was just 22 and had only known him a couple years. At any rate, the next chapter of Anne's life came when she found a new position as a governess with the Robinson family, and she worked there for several years. Uh, despite Anne's being the youngest of the Bronte sisters, she really seems to have been the most successful as a governess. Now, this second position was hard for her as well. She struggled with her students. She missed her home and her family. Uh, but she persevered and in the end created a lasting bond with the girls whom she tutored. But eventually, though we can only speculate as to the reason, uh, Anne did resign from this position and returned home to be with her father and sisters. And it was around this time that the Bronte sisters seriously started thinking about 
writing and trying to have their work published. So first, in 1846, they compiled about 60 poems that the three of them had written, and they paid to have it published under pseudonyms. They took the names Currer, Ellis, and Acton Bell, uh, male names with initials that matched their own, Charlotte, Emily, and Anne. Unfortunately, their poetry collection was a total failure, uh, but they each started writing novels. So Charlotte at first tried to get her book, The Professor, published, but it was not accepted anywhere. However, her next attempt, Jane Eyre, was taken up and published in the fall of 1847. And in December of the same year, Anne's first novel, Agnes Grey, was published along with Emily's debut, Wuthering Heights. Now, while Emily never had the chance to publish more, and it took Charlotte longer to finish her next book, Anne's second novel, The Tenant of Wildfell Hall, came out the following summer in June of 1848. Her promising start, however, faded quickly, as the Bronte family soon faced serious health problems and then tragedy upon tragedy. First, the girl's brother, Branwell, died at age 31 in September of 1848, probably of tuberculosis. And that winter, first Emily fell ill, and then Anne. Emily's illness progressed rapidly. She refused medical help, and she passed away on December 19th, 1848, at age 30. Anne declined more slowly, but was told she was not likely to recover. She lasted several months, but in May of 1849, Anne finally passed away at only 29 years old, and her last surviving sibling, Charlotte, saw to her burial. Now, I know today's episode is about Anne, but now I feel like I have to complete this story quickly. Of course, The girl's father, Patrick Bronte, was still living, and strange as it may be, he outlived all his children. Charlotte eventually managed to write and publish two more novels during her lifetime, Shirley and Villette, and five years after Anne's death, Charlotte married a clergyman, Arthur Bell Nichols. But tragically, less than a year later, at age 38, she died, likely from pregnancy complications. And after her passing, her husband helped take care of her father, Patrick Bronte, until his death six years later in 1861 at age 84. So this is why we don't have as many novels from the Bronte sisters as we do from, say, Dickens or uh, George Eliot. All three girls died quite young, Um, Emily with only one novel to her name, though, of course, Wuthering Heights, what a novel, Uh, Anne with two novels, and Charlotte with three, plus one more published posthumously by her family, The Professor, the book she had tried to publish before any of the others. So I've included all this biographical information on Anne Bronte, not only because it's interesting, though that might be a good enough reason on its own, but also because her debut novel, Agnes Grey, is deeply autobiographical, and I think that's worth paying attention to. So now, what is the storyline of Agnes Grey? Well, our heroine, 
Agnes, is the younger of two girls, daughters of a clergyman father, and a well-educated homemaker mother. Agnes, like Anne Bronte herself, was the youngest of six siblings, but the four eldest died young. Of course, only the oldest two siblings of Anne died as children. Um, Also, the character Agnes, unlike Anne Bronte, does not suffer the loss of her mother. Mrs. Gray in the novel lives a long and healthy life, and it's actually Mr. Gray who suffers illness and eventually passes away in the novel, though not until Agnes is grown up. So our heroine Agnes has one older sister, Mary, and as children, they are educated by their parents and live a secluded life serving their father's parish. And finances are always a struggle for the family. So when Agnes is 18, she forms the plan to find work as a governess to help earn some money in support of her family. She finds a position first with the Bloomfield family, with four young children. So she leaves home to live with the Bloomfields and tutor their two older children, a boy, Tom, and a girl, Marianne. This situation, however, turns out to be very like Anne Bronte's own first situation as a governess. The pupils are ungovernable. The governess is expected to train them without being at liberty to punish them for anything. And so essentially the parents have tied the hands of the governess. Agnes just has a horrible time at the Bloomfield home. She makes little or no progress with the spoilt, uh, rebellious children. And the parents blame her for not making progress when really the parents themselves are the ones undermining everything Agnes is trying to accomplish by their support of their children against Agnes's attempts to correct and educate Tom and Marianne. At any rate, Agnes's position there doesn't last too long. Like Anne, her author, Agnes is dismissed after less than a year with the Bloomfields, and she returns home for a little while in defeat. But Agnes is not ready to give up entirely. She, like Anne, finds a new position as a governess, this time with the Murray family, with older children than the Bloomfields. Rosalie, the eldest, is 16 when Agnes comes to be her governess, and the youngest of the four Murray children is 10. And again, this pretty closely mirrors Anne Bronte's own experience. So Agnes is hopeful that this will be a better situation, and in the long run, it is better. She certainly stays with the Murrays longer than she did with the Bloomfields, and her pupils aren't quite so stressful as Tom and Mary Ann were. That said, Agnes still has a hard life as a governess in this household, and her students still trouble and disappoint her. The two eldest, both girls, are her main concern, um, since the younger two, both boys, eventually go away to boarding school. Rosalie, the older girl, has been educated well enough and trained enough in aristocratic manners that she's not a terror. Um, Her younger sister, Matilda, is a bit of a hoodlum, a total tomboy, so under the influence of her father and his friends that she's even picked up the habit of swearing. But Rosalie is much more interested in being a fine lady. And so outwardly, at least, she's more well-mannered and self-controlled and can actually be pleasant. 
Agnes, however, is very concerned that Rosalie has not been trained in true virtue. Rosalie is self-absorbed and can be condescending, and she seems to have no ability at all to empathize with others or think about treating others as she would like to be treated. So these are the kinds of things Agnes wishes to be able to instill in Rosalie. But at 16, Rosalie's faults are pretty deeply ingrained. Um, I'm not saying it's hopeless, but Agnes finds herself up against a very difficult task, especially when uh, in families like the Murrays, governesses hold a very peculiar status. They aren't servants, but they certainly are not members of the family or treated as equals. And so Agnes is placed in the role of teaching Rosalie and her siblings, but the family doesn't treat Agnes with much consideration or respect. And of course, when the parents more or less disregard the governess, the children naturally will too. So Agnes has it hard. Plus, as you can imagine, all this makes for a very lonely life for a governess. She is living 24-7 in this household. She spends her days almost entirely with her students. She is ignored or occasionally talked down to by the parents. She's positioned above the servants, but below everyone else. So who can she go to for friendship? Literally no one. So Agnes is quite lonely, but she does what she can. Of course, for her pupils... And then eventually, after the boys go off to school and Rosalie in time ages out of needing a governess, and Agnes is left only tutoring Matilda, then Agnes has a little more free time, and much of that time she chooses to spend visiting the cottagers that live nearby the Murray estate. She makes a few friends among the the needy families and poor old maids in the area. She helps them as she can, reads to them, and all in all is a comfort to them and also finds comfort herself in being useful to them and being accepted by them in a way that the Murray family never accepts her. Anyway, long story short, one more person gets involved in this story, who I mentioned early on, the curate, Mr. Weston. And of course, this is speculation, but he might be a kind of fictional depiction of the Bronte's friend, the curate, Mr. Waitman. Mr. Weston moves into town after Agnes has been governess with the Murrays for a couple years, and very soon she recognizes in him someone more thoughtful more compassionate, and more steadfast than anyone else she knows in the area. So she's naturally interested in Mr. Weston, especially the more she learns of the quality of his character. You see where this is headed. Of course, complications arise. Rosalie and Matilda don't particularly like the idea of Agnes and Mr. Weston possibly getting together, and so they cause a fuss. And I won't tell you how everything resolves itself. You will just have to read the novel. Now, a few thoughts about this book's merits and the impression it left me with. First, I will just mention that the structure or flow of the novel felt a little bit clunky to me. Not at all terrible, 
I'm being pretty demanding here. I realize Anne Bronte was young, but basically my age, when she wrote this, and it was her first novel. And poor girl, I'm comparing her in my mind to Jane Austen, who is incomparable, inimitable, just brilliant. So that's that's not fair. Um, if we're making that comparison, then I can definitely say that Agnes Grey didn't flow as smoothly wasn't structured with as much complexity and subtlety as a Jane Austen novel. Um, but that is not to say it wasn't well put together, all things considered. I am very interested now to read Anne Bronte's second novel, The Tenant of Wildfell Hall, which is more famous than Agnes Grey. And I wouldn't be surprised if its style and structure were uh, slightly more refined. We'll see. Overall, uh, before I go any further, because I, I do have one other question to raise about the novel, but let me just say that I did really enjoy it. This genre, this era, is one of my favorites. It's almost like comfort food for me, except literature. Uh, so I am ultimately recommending Agnes Grey, and I can see myself rereading it. It has been quite a few years since I've read Charlotte or Emily Bronte's works. Um, as well as I can remember, I think I would say I liked Jane Eyre better than Agnes Grey. Um, but Agnes offers something different and still very worthwhile. Anne Bronte presents a darker side of what it was like to be a governess. And yet on the whole, if my memory serves me, I think Jane Eyre would be considered a darker work, uh, certainly more brooding and passionate and even a little bit fantastical, um, and Wuthering Heights much more so. Agnes Grey is, is more in the realist tradition as opposed to Jane Eyre's gothic romance. Now, given what I just described, I would expect myself to enjoy the realist Agnes Grey more than the gothic Jane Eyre. So what makes me say I think Agnes Grey is a slightly weaker novel? Though I thoroughly enjoyed it, if I'm perfectly candid, Agnes Grey, to me, comes across as just a little self-indulgent. That's the word that comes to mind. I think this impression would be done away with, or nearly so, if the narration were not in first person. So as it is, Agnes narrates her own story, and because of that, every incident that portrays her in the right and everyone else in the wrong can come across as slightly self-righteous. I don't think it's correct to read it that way. I don't think you can legitimately argue that Agnes is, in fact, self-righteous. She frankly criticizes herself for many faults she wishes she were free from, but it can just give that impression when everything is narrated from her point of view, and most of the time she's the only one portrayed as having uh, integrity or even much sense. So if Anne Bronte had used instead an impersonal narrator to recount Agnes's life from the outside, from third-person point of view, I don't think we'd get the impression that Agnes is self-righteous at all, even if all the exact same events happened the way they do in the book as it is now. But she didn't. She used first person. 
So because of that, I think the story can come across as biased in Agnes's favor, um, though I don't think that's the intention. But here's the thing. Regardless of how the narration comes across, the fact is Agnes doesn't really grow in virtue throughout the story. She does kind of mature in some sense in that she experiences the world outside of her home for the first time and she experiences suffering that she didn't as a child. But any change in Agnes that that brings is mostly just disillusionment. All in all, she's a pretty static character. We don't really see her improved or transformed in any meaningful way in the novel. Now, that's not necessarily a problem on its own. A few of Jane Austen's characters, for instance, don't undergo big transformations in their stories. But again, the first-person narration here, and perhaps even more so, the fact that this story is so based on Anne Bronte's own life and experiences, those things make me feel like the book is a tiny bit self-indulgent. I'm sure it was therapy for Anne to write this after her horrible experiences as a governess. Uh, She had suffered a lot, and she wanted to shed light on the unfair treatment of governesses in society. Uh, And I applaud her for writing this story that needed to be told. So I don't mean the label self-indulgent to be a harsh criticism. Um, I guess the label therapeutic would be another way to describe pretty much the same thing, but with less negative connotations. So all things considered, I think when it comes down to it, the only part that really bothers me is not how Agnes is always portrayed as the innocent victim of her employers who don't treat her kindly. That's probably true and good for Anne for bringing it to light in her novel. Where I think the novel veers slightly away from truth-telling into more wishful thinking is with the Mr. Weston storyline. Now, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed the whole story. I liked Mr. Weston. He seemed like a great guy. Um, I was happy with how the story ended. But I wonder if Anne Bronte was, I guess, fantasizing a little. And I didn't quite buy the storyline of Mr. Weston falling for Agnes. Sorry, spoilers. You kind of saw that coming, though. Here's what it comes down to. My main complaint against Agnes herself is that I wish she were more joyful. Yes, she's kind, she's principled and humble. She has many good qualities, but she views her life as dull and sad, and blank. And in my experience, when you think of your life as dull, you actually become somewhat dull yourself. So because of that, I just think Mr. Weston's attraction to Anne is a tiny bit of a stretch. I would have found his interest in her more believable if she had chosen to be more joyful despite her sufferings. As it is, I understand that her sympathy for others and service to others appeal to Mr. Weston, her thoughtfulness and patience and integrity, but he just seems to me like a person who is determined to choose joy no matter his circumstances, whereas she really struggles to get past discontentment and envy. 
She berates herself for this, but she doesn't seem to succeed in overcoming the feeling that life is dreary for her. So this is the biggest thing that makes me feel the novel is a tiny bit self-indulgent and Agnes's happy ending not quite as well-deserved as it could have been. Maybe I'm being too hard on her. Um, I'm definitely being pretty nitpicky, and none of this is to imply that Agnes is not a sympathetic and an admirable character. Um, but I'm here to give you my honest opinion, so I couldn't do that without bringing up these little uh, questions or reservations. But that's enough critique. All in all, I commend this book to you. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the younger Murray girl, Matilda, does swear sometimes, Agnes scolds her for this, so the book does not condone her language, but it does contain a couple instances of strong language, so just be aware of that if you choose to read it. Uh, but I'm glad I finally read Agnes Grey. I found it fascinating to at last meet this youngest Bronte sister through her writing, and I certainly think she brings something different to the table than either Charlotte or Emily do, and there's value in what she brings. Her heroine, Agnes, is noble, has a lot of character qualities and principles that we can learn from, and I think even her faults we can learn from as well. And two, Mr. Weston, I think, is an intriguing character and well-developed. I'd say he's really the most interesting and sympathetic character in the book. And he stands in stark contrast also to the heroes of Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights. So it's fascinating to see Anne's idea of a worthy hero in contrast to that of her sisters. All right, that concludes our review today. If you have read Agnes Gray or Anne's other novel, The Tenant of Wildfell Hall, I would love to hear your thoughts. You can message me on Instagram or Facebook or now through Patreon. If you join me there as a patron, you can access and interact on the patrons-only news feed I share there, and you can also directly message me with your thoughts on this episode or your suggestions for books I should review in future. Thank you so much for listening today, and to visit the podcast's new Patreon page, just click on the link in the episode description, patreon.com slash unknownfriends. Next week, for our first review in the month of March, we will be drastically moving through time to discuss a novel published in 2018, titled Virgil Wander and written by none other than Leif Enger, the author of my favorite novel from season one of the podcast, Peace Like a River. It is intriguing to me to ponder the similarities and the differences between Anger's first novel and Virgil Wander, his most recent. And so I'm looking forward to sharing some of those thoughts with you next week in episode eight. As always, I'm your host, Rochelle Ferguson, and if you'd like to know more about me and my writing, just visit my website, kittywamproductions.com. Thanks for listening. 